Welcome to the Orgasmic Lifestyle Podcast by Venus O'Hara. I'm here to welcome you into the world of orgasmic living by hosting experts to discuss orgasmic topics such as nutrition, spirituality, personal development, sexuality, and much more. Here, we will offer lifestyle lessons that can help you lead a fulfilling, joyous, and orgasmic lifestyle. I'm your guide, Venus O'Hara. Welcome to the 62nd episode of the Orgasmic Lifestyle Podcast with Venus O'Hara. In this cold moon episode, we'll be discussing sexual compatibility. We'll be speaking with Jaya, author of Your Blueprint for Pleasure. Discover the five erotic types to awaken and fulfill your desires. Then we'll be discussing the book I'm reading now, which is What the Heck is Self-Love Anyway? by future podcast guest, Jonathan Asley, who is a midlife dating coach and a popular YouTuber. The episode ends with a guided meditation with affirmations for sexual compatibility. But first, let me share with you my experience with sexual incompatibility. Have you ever been in a relationship where there has been sexual incompatibility? I know I have. In the cases that I'm, I've experienced, it's been a case of incompatible libidos or mismatched libidos rather. In one relationship, I wanted more than he did. And then in a, in a more recent experience, he wanted more than I did. But mismatched libidos, libidos is not the only type of incompatibility that you can experience. Sometimes it could be you're not into the same practices. When I found that I have been not into the same type of sex as someone then it very rarely develops into a relationship at all. Um, sometimes, if, I think most of my relationships have been based on sex, good sex that I've wanted to repeat and repeat and repeat until it becomes a relationship. And um, it becomes almost the foundation of a relationship. But there are two times when that didn't happen. I remember when I was in my late 20s, I thought maybe I'm putting too much emphasis on sex. Maybe there are other things that I should look at. And there, of course, sex is not everything, but it's a huge part of a relationship. And I started going out with a guy who I had different things in common with. We had very um, similar work ethics. um, And also we had this passion for travel. So every time there was a long weekend, and there are many of those here in Spain, we would be traveling to different places. And also he loved to research. So I just had to, I just kind of accompanied him and sometimes let him surprise me. And sometimes I didn't even know where we were going, which is kind of exciting. Um, but then when we got to our destinations, he just wanted to kind of have a shower and then kind of explore some tourist things. And I was thinking, why aren't we having sex? I remember once we went to Amsterdam for a weekend, it was my birthday. We stayed from Friday to Sunday. We didn't have sex until Sunday morning. And also time was of the essence because we had to do it before we actually had to check out of the hotel. And I was thinking, wow, why are we having this type of relationship? And I'm so young and so up for it. And also when we were not traveling, I remember waking up on Sunday mornings, again Sundays, and he would get up and go to the toilet. And I thought, "Mm, is he going to come back and snuggle me? We can have sex. And then he would go into the kitchen 
and I would hear the orange squeezer. He would be making me my breakfast. And I was thinking, oh, that's nice to give me breakfast in bed. But I wanted a different type of breakfast. And he would hand me the orange juice and some other things that I liked. And he would watch the Formula One on the TV. And I was like, oh. And as the Formula One was going on, I mean, just seriously going around, these cars don't go anywhere. It's 22 laps or whatever it is, just in the same place. And oh my God, sorry for any Formula One fans out there. And then I used to start ironing my clothes and I just don't iron my clothes. And I was feeling like, why am I living this type of relationship? And then it seemed very difficult to let go of because, you know, sex is not everything in a relationship. You have, you always also form deep emotional bonds. And it felt very difficult for me to kind of break away from the bonds that we'd created as well. I think also because I was spending a lot of my time with him, my friendships um, seemed to be dwindling at the time. So I felt like I was hanging on to it for loneliness, you know. I just thought I was afraid of being alone. And then in a more recent experience, um, also just going back to that before I go to my more, more recent experience, I did feel this huge rejection whenever, you know, I tried to initiate sex and he wasn't up for it. Or sometimes what would happen, which was even worse, is that we would start having sex and then halfway through, he would um, lose his erection. And when I tried to kind of speak to him about this, he was saying, it's never happened before, it's because of you. And he would really kind of put me down. And I felt really bad. I felt really bad about um, my body. I felt bad about my charm. I just felt that he wasn't really seeing my charm. And I have a lot of, had a lot of other guys who did in, in, my, in my life. And I, I just felt like I just wanted him to find me desirable. And he just didn't seem to. And, and it was as if he was trying to tell me that, he wasn't turned on because I wasn't desirable. He was, it was kind of a very psychological, sick kind of dynamic, to be honest. And when I got away from that relationship, I was like, oh my God, thank God for that. Oh my God. It was just such a hard thing because it really, um, it really did, um, damage my self-esteem, but I allowed it to, which was really annoying as well. You know, at the time I was annoyed with him, but then as um, time has gone by, I, I just thought, you know, I took responsibility for accepting that situation in my life. And, um, I think we all have to be, you know, responsible for our situations and realize that we are, you know, the gatekeepers of our happiness. It's not, you, you can't find happiness in someone else or someone, someone else can bring you happiness, but ultimately, um, you have to, you have to kind of be more, um, you know, expressive about what you accept and what you don't accept. And um, I just, I just spent far too long in this, in this particular relationship. And then in a more recent one, I was with this incredible guy and it seemed like, I don't know why, but um, I know he loved me. He was a good person. He was a fantastic support system, but I was never in love with him. Um, and that was very hard because there was just something, always something missing from our dynamic and uh, the sexual attraction for me waned quite soon into our relationship. And then it became this kind of more snuggly, huggy type of vibe. And sometimes months and months would go by without us having sex. And, um, and, and as the longer, the, the more time that went by, the harder it was to kind of break down the barrier that was between us. And it, sound, it sounds easy just to have sex if you're not having it. But um, as I was, um, I recently talked about the show, Tell Me You Love Me, which is a, a fantastic series on, on HBO. I'd recommended this to a friend and he was telling me, uh, we were talking about this couple in particular who were in, in this um, couple who were in this um, series, 
who haven't had sex for a year. And this situation is obviously causing a lot of tension, non-sexual tension between them. My friend was saying, why can't they just do it? If it's causing such a problem, just do it. But sometimes it's really not that easy because you've created this invisible wall and it's not that easy to kind of break through it. It seems quite difficult. But once you do, then there's this whole new energy that emerges. But you both have to want to, which is really interesting because when we speak to Jaya later, that's something she mentions that it's not just about compatibility, it's about willingness to actually find a solution. And I think with my first relationship I talked about, there was no willingness on his behalf to kind of improve our situation, whereas that was very frustrating for me, knowing that he didn't even want to acknowledge that there was a problem. But there are other types of sexual incompatibility. It's not just about um, mismatched libido, which I've just mentioned here. Other times it could be you're not into the same type of sex, or maybe your bodies just don't fit, or you you have sex and you realize that that attraction kind of just disappears. When that's happened to me, I just haven't really pursued those relationships or people. Um, it's just been, I, for me, many of my relationships have um, come around because the sex was good. I wanted to repeat, repeat, repeat until it becomes a relationship and it becomes a more emotional connection. And that's what it's really been like for me. But I think it's very hard sometimes if you start off with for being very compatible and then life happens and then you experience some challenges and then maybe your your um, libidos somehow mismatch or misalign or you have fantasies that you can't really live out with your partner and you but you want to be monogamous. It's very difficult to, to find ways to overcome those hurdles. But today we're going to talk to Jaya who talks about the erotic blueprints and it's interesting because there are five different blueprints and this can be a real indicator as to what is going wrong or right in your relationships. And every type of pairing has a solution. So let's speak to Jaya about that. And the first time I actually saw Jaya, um, she was in this amazing series called Sex, Love and Goop, which I saw on Netflix. And I'd highly recommend it to anyone. And it really opened my eyes to the concept of couples sex therapy. I used to think that when couples go to sex therapy, it's like a last resort before breaking up as if they were kind of like in denial that they really should break up. But it really opened my mind to the fact that if there is willingness, then there can be solutions. And some of the couples in this, um, who are featured in this um, docu-series, they can, they can really see the tension between them or the lack of the spark. And over time, thanks to being paired up with some therapists, you can see how different techniques can really um, enable the 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 flame, the spark to emerge again, which is really quite beautiful to watch. And it's quite hopeful. So I'd recommend this to any couple who feel that they've lost that spark and they want to get back into that sexual fire. But anyway, let's speak to Jaya more about this. And um, yeah, it's such an incredible conversation that I was absolutely thrilled to have. Do you want to make your day more orgasmic? Do you want to experience pleasure like never before? If so, check out tracysdog.com. There you will find a range of innovative adult products designed for your ultimate satisfaction. From intimate massages to couples accessories, Tracy's Dog has something for everyone. They even have one of the highest rated sex toys on Amazon. One user even said that it was so good that they nearly passed out. I'm pretty sure I levitated. It was a never-ending orgasm. 
she said. Having tried many Tracy's dog products, I can vouch for their orgasmic quality. If you're curious, visit tracysdog.com to elevate your intimate moments. Now it's time for this episode's interview. We'll be speaking with Jaya, author of Your Blueprints for Pleasure. Discover the five erotic types to awaken and fulfill your desires. Jaya, welcome to the Orgasmic Lifestyle Podcast, where every day is a climax. Thank you so much for taking part in this interview today. I'm very happy to have you here. For those who are unfamiliar with your work, could you tell us what you do? Sure. Well, first, I'm just excited to be in a place where every day is a climax. <laughs> Not so much. <laughs> um, yes. What is it that I do these days? I would say that mainly, you know, I... I've spent the last 30 years teaching sexuality and really feels like it's been my dharma to bring consciousness to something that has been a taboo or something dark or something that we don't talk about. I'm a somatic sexologist, which means that a lot of what I do is body-based. So it's not just an idea or therapy. It's much more of a holistic point of view. Sex is something that happens in our bodies and not just, you know, um, something that we talk about. It's something that we we experience. And so a lot of the work that I've done over the years has been about embodiment. And what I'm really interested in is, is how we become self-realized through this tool called sex. To me, sex is an intercourse, but sex is something that is where we can have a relationship with our own bodies and our own selves and deepen our own realization through the tool of sexuality. Yeah. So that's, that's where I'm at today. Absolutely. I can really empathize with that because I'm kind of at that place. I'll, I'll ask you about that, about sex and self-realization a bit later on. So what inspired you to, to, to follow this path in the beginning? I like to joke that when I was young, I was like the kid who told everyone where babies came from. I was like, not the stork. It's not that. It's, you know, uh, let me tell you the truth about what really goes on here. And that just started a huge interest, even from like, I was like five or six years old. And then I wanted to um, become Dr. Ruth when I grew up. Like that was my, I wanted to be an opera singer or Dr. Ruth. And so I just, began this I kind of I told my parents that I wanted to go into fertility medicine because that felt like it was okay you know um but really I just wanted to help people with their sexuality and when I was 19 I got deeply involved in tantra and in that study and how sexuality and spirituality intersect and that became a deep interest as well I saw you in um a sex love and goop and I really loved the methods that you shared and on on couples who are trying to reconnect, I love the series in general because I had this perception that uh, maybe a misconception that once a couple have got to that stage of bickering or they've stopped seeing each other in a sexual light or the chemistry's gone, that it's just a kind of waste of time. What, what's your perception on that? What do you think? Well, I really believe that there's it's never too late. Mm -hmm. uh, you're always at choice, and do do you want to do the work? That's the thing. It's about willingness. Mm -hmm. And if you become unwilling, then it's an issue. That's where it becomes a different choice. It's like, okay, well, if one of you is unwilling in the relationship, then how are you going to navigate that? Because things aren't going to grow. 
And when we stop growing, things start to degrade. And from there, it becomes, okay, well, do I want to stay in a relationship where things will continue to degrade and I may feel my needs are being met um, because my partner or I are unwilling to do the work that it may take or play? You know, it doesn't have to be like it's hard and it can be easy. It can be fun. It can be enjoyable. It can be very pleasurable to do this work. But it takes going on a journey together. And so that's where I go, okay, nothing's hopeless until you hit a state of unwillingness. And as soon as that kicks in, then we're in a different conversation. Definitely. I love the couple that you worked with in um, Sex, Love and Goo Pal. At the beginning, they had these fixed ideas about what their sex life should be. And then it, and you see how it unravels and transforms. Yeah, I see that happen a lot where, where th- people could become very surprised by what they discover. Absolutely, because sex is a place where we don't have a lot of sex education. Mm-hmm. And so with a lack of education, a lack of conversation around it, um, we get ideas that are completely erroneous about what sex is. We create then belief systems, too, based upon our histories and our past. And so we've got limiting beliefs. We've got miseducation. We've got ideas that are mythologies around sexuality. And I feel like I spent a lot of time in the beginning of working with a couple, and I loved working with them so much. Mm-hmm. Um, it was it was such a pleasure um, to have that place where, okay, I think I'm supposed to be this way because this is what society says, or this is what sex really is because this is what I've grown up with, or sex is bad, sex is dangerous. If I like sex, then I'm bad. It's something to be ashamed of. A lot of these labels that we get very early on that then get ingrained. And I, I love unraveling that from the beginning. Okay, well, let's discover who you really are and, and let's discover what sex really is to you. And let's, let's. I feel like we're, we're chipping away all of the things and unlearning all of the things that we learned because we're always getting a sex education. We're getting a sex education from our parents, our grandparents, culture, magazines, media, everything is educating us about sex. And so how do we unravel all of the mislearnings to find out what is really true for you? What is actually your truth around this thing called your sexuality? I've just finished reading your book, The Erotic Blueprints. I finished reading it yesterday. I really enjoyed it. And you mentioned some blueprints, I think, in the Sex, Love and Goop. Um, You mentioned that idea. And I was really drawn um, to the beginning of the book when you talked about being a sexless sex bird because I can I can empathize with that because I've been a I'm a sex toy designer and um, reviewer for like the last fourteen years and I've I found a lot of times in my life when I've been you know there's long periods of celibacy and uh, and frustration like all my daily life is sex 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 but there's no sex in my bedroom kind of thing so that threw me into the book and and do you think because you're in this in this industry there's a lot of pressure to have a good sex life all the time i mean how how did you how did you cope with that it was very much of a challenge at that time my partner and i were six and a half years into our relationship and it was just really rough you know you, i think there is pressure to okay you're supposed to be the sex goddess and you're supposed to be having sex all the time you're supposed to be having great sex all the time um and i felt such an incongruency with my work such an incongruency because here i was talking to people all day long about how they can have better sex lives and I couldn't crack that code myself and it it really took again the willingness both my partner and I were super willing to be in it together and go what is going on and that's part of where the blueprints were born and I think sometimes 
you know, in our own professions, we have these challenges because the thing that we seek the most is the thing that we teach the most. Mm, interesting. So we have these challenges in order to overcome them than to gift the world with how we overcame them. You know, so many people are in sexless relationships or in relationships where sexuality isn't satisfying. And so here I was having to face what my clients faced for the first time and to go, well, what's going on? What's the what's the recipe out of this? And mm -hmm. what are the things that are causing us to have this disharmony? And and again, that's where the blueprints really were born because I was looking at how to solve my own problem. And I guess these situations can also inspire you with your clients. And also it, it creates more empathy because you understand perfectly the situations that they are in. I never understood the kid thing until I had a kid. You know, everybody always had the excuse of like, oh, the kids, I can't have sex because of the kids. And you know, <laughs> then I had a baby and it was like, oh, now I know what everybody's talking about. <laughs> That's for sure. That empathy, I think life experiences give us um, compassion and a deeper understanding and just it really actually helped my career. You know, it helped my career to go through struggles. It helped my career to have a child. It helped my career to hit up against things that people really struggle with in their lives because then I could go, okay, now I know what's now I know what's happening. Now I know I can address it from a, a personal experience. Okay, so let's talk about the erotic blueprint. So what is an erotic blueprint and how many are there? So an erotic blueprint is how you're wired erotically. We all have an erotic blueprint type. And so that type is, I don't see them as archetypes. Sometimes people call them archetypes, but it's more like, here's my erotic wiring. Here are how things work. Here's how I'm aroused. Here's the language that I speak. And here's who I am right now. As we, we took a snapshot of you right now, here's who I am as an erotic being right now. And so it's putting all of that together. It gives us a language to communicate who we are. It gives us a language to be able to say what we need so that other people can know us more deeply and honor us in our eroticism. And there are five erotic blueprints. Do you want to go through them? Yes, please. Explain okay. which ones are. Mm -hmm. The first one is an energetic. And an energetic is someone who's turned on by what we have that has space. So it's longing anticipation, tease, not actually getting the touch. It's all that if you've ever had like a new love and you're like, oh my gosh, are we going to kiss? Are we going to kiss? Is that going to happen? It's that moment. It's that all the arousal beforehand that happens. So energetic superpowers that they can have lots of arousal and orgasm without even being touched. They can go into non-ordinary states of consciousness or expanded states of consciousness during sexuality. And you know, they have a very, very sensitive system. So it doesn't take actually much if you know how to play with that sensitive system, if you know how to listen to that system. I liken it to dropping a pebble in water. You know, you don't want to like cannonball a whole bunch of rocks all at one time on an energetic. You just want to like drop the pebble and then let the ripples go. It's that sensitive. You're like just dipping your finger into their field and then letting those ripples expand out. And that's enough. You know, if you go too much too fast, you get into the shadow side of the energetic, which is where you they turn off because they're overstimulated. And then they start to dissociate out of their body. Saying no can be really hard or having like a lot of boundaries can be hard for an energetic because they're feeling everything and they don't want their partner to feel rejected or like something's wrong. 
Um, and so they often will override their sensitivity because they're they're saying, I'm weird, I'm wrong. I need to like overcome this as opposed to really honoring who they are. So that's the energy. You did um, an, an exercise in Sex, Love and Goop with an energetic kind of sexual encounter. Would you like to explain what that was? Yeah, so I think it's episode two. Mm-hmm. I demonstrate with my partner, Ian, um, an energetic play. I had a blindfold on and I'm in an orgasmic state and he's he's playing with me without touching. And I my body's responding to what he's doing in my energetic field and all the anticipation of being touched and all of the sensitivity that I have that I've developed over, you know, all these years of being an energetic. And so um, they, the couple who I was working with watched that. And then what I think why I like to demonstrate these things is because it's not like anybody's broken or anybody's less than because they can't do that. But it's more, here's what's possible. Because when human beings see what's possible, then we know that it's possible for us and we're able to do that. And then we saw through that, I don't want to give any spoilers away, but we saw some interesting things happen as a result of a surprise. You know, we think maybe we're one way and then when we actually get into the body, something new emerges. And then the next is sensual. Is that correct? Yes. And so the sensual is someone who's turned on by all of their senses being ignited it's sound, it's taste, it's touch, it's something delicious, you know, that's that's either on our skin or in our mouth or in our ears. It's something delicious we're perceiving with our senses. The sensual brings the beauty to the erotic experience. So the, the person who's going to light the candles and put on the music and what we think of as romantic oftentimes, mm-hmm. uh, they love romantic context. So like the notebook, if anybody's ever oh, seen yeah. It's like the quintessential sensual scene. You've got all this energetic longing, but then you've got like swans in the boat in the rain, kissing in the rain. You know, it's like such a sensual context of longing and then moving into this this sensuality together. And then and then the sensual side that's the shadow is that you get caught up in your head and start running tapes of things that are wrong. You know, somebody's breath smells or you know, you, you forgot to call that person back earlier in the day or you start to run your to-do list and that's taking you out of what's happening in your body and all of the pleasure that's happening in your body because your mind is going and that's taking you out of the experience. And then it's the sexual. The sexual is someone who's turned on by what we think of as sex in our culture. So intercourse, penetration, nudity, orgasms. The beauty of the sexual is that sex is this thing that just has so much joy in it. It doesn't have a lot of shame in it. It's like, let's do it all the time. It's great, you know, and and then it's the zero to 60 arousal. A sexual can get aroused very easily and it's what we think of. So the arousal techniques that we hear about in magazines or we see in movies or erotic film is something that you are going to be turned on by so it becomes easeful it's easeful because we know we know those techniques because we're told that that is what successful sex is and so the shadow side however of that is that if something goes wrong let's say all of a sudden you can't get an erection or you're not getting wet that we think that these things are arousal in our culture when actually there's all these other blueprints to explore there's all this other journey to explore and so a sexual can think that there's something wrong with other people if they aren't aroused by what's in the sexual blueprint because they have this limited definition of what successful sex is. 
I hear all the time out of sexuals mouths, well, we're having orgasms. So what's wrong with our sex life? You know, Did the opposite be true as well? So people who are not sexual feel that they are abnormal, like being energetic or being sensual. Absolutely. Absolutely. And then, and then because sexuals, because they fit within the culture, then it just makes that even worse. You know, like, well, something's wrong with you, not wrong with me because you're not normal. So we get this idea or this message that somehow I'm not normal if I'm outside of the standard narrative and the script of what sexual looks like. But there's the majority of people do not fit in the sexual box, actually, from what we've seen from people taking the quiz and all of my work with my private clients. The majority of people actually aren't sexuals and that we live within a culture that says that that is what we should be, especially if you're a man, you know, especially if you identify as a man, then, oh, that's what I'm supposed to be. I think that's interesting in your book. You talked about that, about how we have these assumptions, even you had them yourself, that the man's always supposed to be ready and wanting it. And then when the woman's more ready and up for it, we think there's something wrong, you know? Right. Yeah, that was the part, the case with my partner, Ian, right? So we're here we are in this sexless situation and I'm I'm instigating sex, initiating sex through the sexual blueprint because I'm assuming like what's wrong with him you know like all men are supposed to want this I'm doing my little g-string lap dances and he's going what are you doing and you know I'm touching his his genitals at night and saying let's have sex and he's not turned on by it because it's not his blueprint he's not a sexual he's zero percent sexual on the quiz um so you know here I am doing all the sexual things thinking that that's what he's supposed to be and then come to find out that he's 0% sexual. We'll go back to the quiz in a second. So that, that we have two more to two more blueprints. There's the kink one. Yeah, so kinky is someone who's turned on by the taboo. And this is anything that's taboo for you. So this could be having sex out of missionary position. Or this could be that you're doing more adventurous. What we think of, you know, when we think of kink, mm -hmm. you know, like ball gags or whips or chains, you know, spanking, these kinds of things, choking, like these kinds of activities within sexuality. But that, again, I, I like to broaden the definition because it's really anything that's taboo for you. So it becomes kinky if it's like, oh my God, that's so naughty. I shouldn't be doing this. Mm -hmm. Then that then is the kink. And so there's two different types. One is psychological, which means that you're turned on by the ideas of it, the fantasy of it, the power dynamic of it. And then there's more of a sensation-based kinky. And that's somebody who's turned on by, let's say, the rope or spanking, the sensations, intense impact. Something like that would be the turn on within the kinky. I was reading and then, definitions and I was like, I'm all of them. And then it brings me to the last one. The shapeshifter. So the shapeshifter is <laughs> someone who's all of these blueprints. They shapeshift among all of them. Um, oftentimes they're the best lovers because they can shapeshift. So they, it's like somebody who's multilingual. You can speak all the languages. Mm -hmm. And so you often will shapeshift to please a lover. The shadow side of that, however, is you're always shapeshifting and not necessarily getting fully fed because you can shapeshift. Let's say your lover's just a sensual. You can shapeshift to the sensual and then you're missing out on all the other blueprints that you really need. My theory is that we're actually all shapeshifters because... Mm -hmm spectrum of our expression as erotic beings however we get patterned out of it or life you know life makes us only fit into one box so your blueprint actually shows you where you're limited versus fully expanded and then there's a place beyond all of this 
um, maybe we'll, we'll get into. Yeah, because I find that um, all throughout my different relationships, different people have um, kind of inspired different parts of my sexuality. And also I've found that I've evolved, maybe when I started having sex, the kink one was like the number one thing for me because I was also brought up Catholic. So I was, I was no condition that what I was doing was wrong. And that kind of turned... Everything's to- taboo. <laughs> it's all taboo. And also that was the biggest aphrodisiac for me. It was, it, it, you know, it caused a lot of guilt, but at the same time, it was a big turn on. And so I was really into BDSM for a long time. And then when I became spiritual, I, I realized that it was, we wanted to be dominating was a, it was an ego thing. So I kind of like didn't need that anymore to, to feel like a goddess. I just thought I am a goddess. <laughs> so it was, but that, that's kind of the, the least um, um, prevalent part of my sexuality at the moment. But the, the other ones I really identify with, so I think different people have stimulated different parts of me. So do you think they can change throughout our lives, depending on the circumstances we are in? I do. Esther Perel, a beautiful friend of mine, she says that we don't have one sexuality, we have multiple sexualities. Mm. And I absolutely love that because it will shift, it will change, it will change based on partners. Because I think we're trying to complete ourselves. So if you have a very sexual partner, then we may be even more energetic. We may go even more opposite because they're fulfilling that pole. They're fulfilling that, that identity. And so we don't necessarily have room to fill it. And so, but yet we're seeking to fulfill all of these different types. And so I do think that we change, you know, as biochemistry changes in our life, uh, you know, menopause, having a baby, uh, big life change, illness, these things are going to impact how we express and how we identify and what does turn us on. And, And as we grow, and, you know, as we're in relationship, when we grow, as we mature, as we deepen in love, things will shift. Our spirituality, as mm-hmm. in your case. Definitely. So tell us about the quiz. So I'm sure people listening to this are going to be wanting to know what their blueprint is. So there's a quiz, a quiz online that we have, and there's a free one that will give you one of your, like your primary type of what you are. But really, we're all, we're like a a rainbow of all of them. And so there's another more in-depth quiz that will give you a report that will have every percentage. So I mentioned my partner, Ian, was a zero in uh, sexual. I was a zero in kink. Oh, wow. And his top was kink and my top was sexual. So we were completely the opposite. My secondary blueprint is energetic. His secondary is sensual. He was 5% energetic and I'm 5% sensual. So we were exact opposites. And the quiz just gave us like it was my own quiz that I created. So it's kind of funny, but <laughs> the quiz this game was like, oh my gosh, like, aha, like no wonder why we're struggling so much. I'm initiating an energetic sexual. You're initiating and said he would cuddle me, you know, at night and I'd be like, oh God, we're going to cuddle again. Because to me, cuddling did not equate sexuality because my sexual, you know, it's like, oh gosh, here we are. I'm rolling my eyes and he's going to go to sleep. And he would always say, like, why don't we let just things unfold? And I'd be like, no, like, I want to know that we're going to have sex. Like, <laughs> so, and it's very sexual, sensual, what I'm saying there, because a, a sexual needs certainty and they want to know like, what's going to happen. And then they also have sex in order to relax. So, like, all this stress, I want to know, like, oh, I'm going to be able to have that relaxation. Whereas a sensual needs to relax in order to get into the mood to have sex. So, here again, here we are, like, total opposites and the quiz gave us that information for me to go okay well wait a minute let's do an experiment how do you want to be seduced and he's sending me things like couples kissing videos or like 
<laughs> it's like to me it was like okay you you want like cute fuzzy romantic things you know and that wasn't part of my lexicon because i hadn't developed in the sensual blueprint and there was also these, were these five blueprints very obvious to you when you were coming up with these theories or, or did you kind of did you have any like number six that you kind of disregarded or yeah it was it was interesting going through them because of my own map you know, of course, I saw energetic first, and then I saw sexual. You know, of course, that that one was a give me. Then there was energetic, and then it was like, okay, there's people who are sensual, and then I had the shapeshifter, and kinky was last, of course, because I didn't have zero cake, so it wasn't something that I really saw until that, and then and then the aha of oh, my partner's kinky, and I couldn't even see it. Wow, that's incredible. And, and so it was years. Yeah, six and a half years and, and very kinky. Like he's very kinky and, and, and part of the shadow of the kink is shame. Mm. So he had shame about it. Well, why am I like this? And I think about like, I'm a sexologist. How do my own partner feel shame about bringing this to me when this is what I do for a living? And I hear people's sex stories all day long. Like, no, no shame. Like I have no judgment. And how interesting it was that here he felt so afraid to bring it to me and I can't even imagine like well how do couples who are very religious or how do couples who have a lot of shame and judgment in their relationships talk about these things that feel so vulnerable to talk about definitely and also something I really loved about your book is how you talk about how different blueprints work together how they come together and you know the good things to try etc um, so I love the fact that you'd never mention anything about sexual incompatibility. There's always a way. Is, would that be true? That Would you believe that? Yeah, I do. I believe that it's not that we're incompatible around eroticism and sexuality. It's that we just haven't learned. It's mm -hmm. a lack of skill and a lack of connection and communication with each other. And so with oftentimes the couples I'm working with, I'm like, well, it's not that the two of you are incompatible. It's just you never learn to speak French. Doesn't make you incompatible because you don't know French. You love them. Learn how to speak French. It's the unwillingness that I talked about at That's the very it. beginning. You now it's like, okay, the, that if you're unwilling to learn French, then your partner is left without their needs being met. Their partner is left without feeling seen or understood or honored in the relationship. Another layer to our sexuality was the phases that you talked about. Could you explain what the different phases were? For example, the resting, the transformational, what that, that what, what, what do they, what are they and what do they mean? I love that you read through the book. Oh yeah, I, I read all, but you know, I'm, <laughs> I'm so like, one of the best parts of my job is that I am a real big reader. I read 30 books in the, in the pandemic and I'm just such a reader. And I read books that are like related to sexuality, sacred sexuality, spirituality, personal development. I have actually a, a whole sh shelf here of all my podcast guests' books. because so I actually do read the books. I just love reading. So I've been reading your so book with my morning coffee for the last week or so. So I've been really looking forward to it. And I actually finished it last night just to make sure. But I, I really do love reading so much. And it's just such an honor to be a bookworm like me and then to speak to the author. It's amazing. <laughs> so fun. So fun. I'm so grateful. <laughs> I'm a bookworm like you too. I, I try <laughs> in a week um yes phases yeah stages and states of All stages okay reality. so there the whole erotic blueprint consists of three things so it's the type which we talked about 
and then the states or stages of sexuality. And so there are five states and stages. And then there's a third, there's a third piece, which are the obstacles and mm. which pathways to your sexuality. And that creates the whole map of who you are in this moment. And so the states and stages are the and reason why I say states and stages is one, they can just be a state of consciousness that we move into. So I'm in the state of consciousness right now where I am adventurous. I'm having this conversation about sex. I'm talking about things that might seem taboo to people. So there's that, What what's the state that you're in? And if you start to land more in a longer amount of time, that becomes a stage. It's a stage of your development in your sexuality. And, and even further, if you land there and you don't grow and you don't fluctuate, we're supposed to fluctuate. If you don't fluctuate, it becomes a station. You parked yourself there. Now you're parked there and you're not growing anymore. That's when that unwillingness comes in. So you want me to go through the five? Yes, please. So the first one is resting. Mm-hmm. Resting is when you're not having sex. So this could be either you're resting because you've chosen celibacy. You're resting because you've chosen, you know, hey, I'm in a, just had a bad breakup or something's happened and I need to just take sex off the table for a little while. Um, or you're resting because you're in a non-choice where your partner is like, I don't want to have sex. You're forced into a sexless situation, a sexless relationship. Now, that doesn't mean that you couldn't still have, be having a sex life with yourself because sex isn't just about a partner. Sex can happen in your own body as well. And actually, I think that's a really important point that like we have our relationship with ourself in our own bodies and our own sexuality that has nothing to do with partner. And so that could, you know, resting could be a time where you you aren't necessarily resting with yourself, but you're resting with a partner. The next one is when you're healing. And so let's just say if you're bridging between healing and resting, you're you you felt safe enough now to look at, well, what is it that I need to actually heal so that I can move back into having sex? Is it the psyche emotional aspects of you know, trauma from my history or a trauma in our relationship? Is there something going on with my hormones that I need to heal from? Or I mentioned, you know, having a baby, mm-hmm. my pelvic floor needs to heal because I can't have sex after you have a baby because your cervix needs to heal for, you know, quite a bit before you could start having sex again. So are you healing from something? Are you in the healing stage? Then you can move to the curious and curious is okay, well, what are all the things I need to learn? What are the skills that I need to learn to speak French? What are the things that I need to um, have in my toolbox? It's when you start to read all the books, but you don't want to get trapped in just reading about things. You want to move into actually implementing in the curious stage. It's like, okay, well, what happens to my lover's body when I do this or I use this toy or I play with this? Um, How do I light my partner up? You're asking questions and you're seeking to then produce results based upon the questions that you're asking. And then we move into adventurous and adventurous is when we're like, okay, now I, now I need to push the edges. You know, what, what can I do now to explore? I'm con- I become content in my sex life and I want to move out of my comfort zones. So these are when you ask questions like, well, okay, well, what have I not tried? What's on my sexual bucket list that I want to play with? Um, maybe I want to have a threesome or I want to play with something taboo in the kinky realm. You know, those could be things in the adventurous realm. And then the final one is transformational. And this is the what's more to sex. It's when you start to ask the question of like, is this all? Is this all there is to sex? And you start to get interested in things like Tantra and Taoism and sacred sexuality. And you start to explore more. How am I 
utilizing our, my sexuality as a tool for my own self-realization, my own growth, my own awakening. Definitely. I love that. I love the last two, especially. But going back to your own journey, um, you've been in this industry for a very long time. Do you find that sexuality still surprises you? Can you share anything that's kind of recent that's something you've, you've just discovered or you thought, wow, I never knew about this? Is there anything? All the time. Yeah. I'm always surprised. I think that's yeah. one of the reasons why I love sexuality so much mm-hmm. and eroticism so much is because to me it's our aliveness and it always surprises me. I think that I found like the pinnacle of the thing that I could experience and then something else happens, something new happens. One of my questions that I got from one of my mentors, Joseph Kramer, is exploring all that is erotically possible. And I I ask him, you know, I ask that question a lot. Uh, I have him in my head going, what else is possible? What else haven't you explored? And I feel like from a very young age, I've been an erotic explorer. What else can I explore? And I've never found the end of that question. There's no ceiling to what is possible when it comes to our eroticism. At least I haven't discovered that ceiling and I've gone really far out. So um, recent experiences, even I've been playing with my dreams a lot lately. This is very energetic and eroticism within dreams and making love with partners or playing like focusing on something that I want to play with within a dream. And this just happened this week. Earlier this week, I was um, in a dream where I was making love with a partner who I've never had intercourse with. So we have a total energetic relationship we've had for 20 years. Very erotic, love each other immensely, but we've never had physical penetration. And so in the dream, we were exploring physical penetration. And so I was getting to have sex with sex and the sexual blueprint with him. But what happened was I turned into the goddess and he turned into the god in the dream. And we were Shiva and Shakti. And we were we were in Yabu and we were in like a sacred union, Maithuna ritual. And it, there was all this ecstatic energy. And all of a sudden, we could both hear the primordial sound of the cosmos. Wow. Which was the first sound that came out of the void in our ecstasy and I woke up in an orgasm. Like I woke up just like vibrating and orgasming and this went on for like hours. I was orgasmic all day long um, as a result of that dream. I had three erotic dreams that night too. Like that was the first one and then it rolled into another one and then another one, but I kept waking up in orgasm, just like my whole body vibrating and it was amazing. So like those kinds of things are possible. (laughs) Is that a lucid dream? Did you set the intention before you went to bed? I mean, or was it something that completely took you by surprise? Yeah, I was, I have been intending to play with eroticism within my dreams. And I have been doing a lot of tantric study, just a new like whole way of studying and studying Maithuna and studying the sacred union. And so um, I feel like I'm getting ready for something, you know, in the physical world that may happen. In my stage now is definitely transformational because I'm. I discovered sex magic about six years ago, and it completely changed my life. And now I'm a sex toy reviewer, so I use all my review time to do magic. So I love um, that. <laughs> but for me, it was like you know, I felt like I, I knew a lot about pleasure. Pleasure was always my focus of my work, female pleasure. And then I found that it was power. So it was like discovering a new room to this house that I already knew, and that's that's really really my journey where I am right now. So. One of my questions that you talked about um, sex being for self-realization before, 
Do you have any tips about how sex can be transformational in our non-sexual lives? Yeah, I think it starts with intention. Mm-hmm. So are you, how are you utilizing your sexual energy? What is your relationship with sexuality? I think just like any tool that can lead us to ecstasy, what relationship are you in? And are you actually using it as a recreational tool versus a recreational tool? And I, I love that distinction. Like we can use it to recreate. We can use it to create versus recreate. Oh, well, that's so, interesting. Very similar words. Yeah. And most of us have have used things recreationally and unconsciously. So how do you bring consciousness to it? And I love some of the tantric tools, breath. So how are you breathing during sex? How are you utilizing your breath? Sound, how are you making sound? How are you moving your body? Um, what are you intending? So are you intending to have sex bring you closer to the depths of who you really are and embodying who you really are? And I think that sexuality is the final growth of uh, final frontier of personal growth in that uh, we don't want to look there. You know, we, it's like, oh, I do all my personal growth over here and over here and over here, but l- let's all look at that part. And so then when we start to look at that part, it's a really powerful place to get in touch with who we really are and to love ourselves more fully. And through some of the practices of Tantra or through, you know, breath, sound, movement, intention, we can start to touch these places. You know, the moment of orgasm, that moment of orgasm, the mind shuts off. And oftentimes we say, oh, God, Mm -hmm. because we (laughs) touch that place. And so I'm really curious about how do we prolong that place so that we're in that orgasmic state all the time where we're going, oh, God, we're in the wonder and the awe of every moment of life, not just that moment of orgasm, not just a fleeting glimpse, but Mm -hmm. that we're expanding that glimpse into more of a state or a stage and um, becoming a person who lives in an orgasmic place, not just having a person who's having an orgasm. That's the premise of this podcast is the orgasmic lifestyle every day is a climax. It's about reaching climax in all areas of life. Because I also interview people about, you know, health and nutrition and books and all these different aspects. So it's really about optimization and, you know, because climax is is like a peak moment. Yeah, that this idea of these peak moments that we have and they build up because our neural nets, just from a neuroscience point of view, these neural nets are starting to build and we build new new highways every time we have them in our brain. It's nourishing the brain. And so these, these orgasmic peak experiences. And then I started to question, okay, how do I move it from high performance or peak experience and move it into peak existence? Oh, that's amazing. Peak existence. <laughs> Yes, that's amazing. So I'm existing there. It isn't because I think I think people can start to like chase, you know, chase the orgasm, chase the chase the peak experience, chase the thing. And um, one of my friends, Ori Zimmels, he said to me, you know, I don't want to be an experiential tourist. I want to become a resident. Oh yeah, <laughs> I think me too. Definitely, definitely. <laughs> so that's about the states and stages. Then we talk about there's the obstacles as well. I'd like to share what they are. Sure. So um, four obstacles, and I've, I've touched on almost all of them as we've just been talking. Mm-hmm. One, a touch on biochemistry. So what's happening in your biochemistry and are you with the effect of chemistry versus creating alchemy in your body? Mm-hmm. And so uh, biochemistry are your hormones. So what's happening in your hormones? Most people don't know, you know, are you getting tested? Are you looking at where your testosterone levels, no matter what body you're in, because that can affect 
um, how you're feeling, your juiciness, your aliveness. And there are things that we can do to optimize that. And then there's bioenergetics. So what's happening in the energetic field of the body and in the chakra system or in the shishumna, which is the central channel of the spine and, and a lot of different um, methodologies there. So we can look at the Dallas methodology, which might talk about the microcosmic orbit, mm -hmm. the energetic anatomy. So what's happening within your own field, your own biofield, and then what's happening with your connection to the bigger field at large energetically. So we looking at energetics and how are we optimizing that? And then um, emotional, so psyche emotional, what's happening in your emotional realm and are you, um, you know, still struggling with traumas from your past? Are you worried about the future? What's happening here in the mind and in your thought processes that are affecting your sexuality? And then finally, we have but the biomechanics, the physical, actual physical body, bones, muscles, nerves, scar tissue. You know, a lot of people don't think about scar tissue as something that really impedes sexual flow, but it does. And we often get scar tissue in the midline, especially people who've had babies. So if you've had a baby, did you get an episiotomy? Was there a tear, um, C-sections? Any kind of scar in the midline is going to affect those energetic channels. So all four of these affect each other. And there are ways to really look at them to optimize those four, which I talk about in the book. But, you know, how are we how are we looking at this picture of a whole? So even just talking now, what's your type? What state or stage are you in? And then where are the places that you could look at healing in terms of these um, four, you know, your hormones, your physical body, your energetic body and your psyche emotional system? Amazing. So your book's coming out soon. So what, what else are you working on at the moment? So you're promoting your book. And um, what else are you up to? Yeah, right. These days I mentioned I'm very much, I'm always exploring what's erotically possible. So I am doing deep study in Tantra at the moment. I've come back to my roots. I started in Tantra when I was a teenager. And I've come back to my roots of really looking at what are some of these tantric traditions, not just neo-tantra, because I've studied i studied a lot of neo-tantra in the West, but what are the roots of tantra? Where Where is this coming from? What are the authentic teachings and rituals? And I'm going back to those roots very deeply right now. And I'm fascinated with sacred union as well, not just within Hindu or Tibetan Buddhism, but this idea of the sacred masculine and sacred feminine and coming into union with each other. And that Tantra speaks of that, of course. And that that's another way of self-realization when we when we take polarities and we integrate polarities. So the masculine feminine polarity integrated can lead us into self-realization. But I'm I'm really interested in this across all culture, even Christianity, and how the feminine got taken out of so many of them, these traditions. So when we look at Christian mysticism, we have the Mary Magdalene Christ um, initiations and the Eros Gamos. And we there's so many words for it across the board. If you really look into secret doctrines, oftentimes the, the secret languages, they're told in picture, not even in words. And I'm curious about art and these stories that have been passed down and the mysticism throughout every culture, what are the sacred couples and what is this symbology of sacred union in, in sexuality? And so I'm really fascinated right now is sexuality as a tool for our human 
evolution, our human awakening, living in peak existence, as we had talked about, um, and just studying. I love reading like you, and um, I'm studying and studying and studying, and I'm really interested in then taking it and putting it into practice. And um, I think another aspect of that is embodying these sacred archetypes, you know, Mary Magdalene, Shakti, Vajrayogini, um, in Tantric Tibetan Buddhism, and embodying, you said, I'm a goddess. I realize I am the goddess. You know, it's, <laughs> it's embodying the deity. And so you become one with the deity and God, goddess, um, and then also integrating that within yourself. And so just, I have a, I have, I've always had a fascination with it. And I think now I'm in a place in my career, I spent a lot of time trying to break down some of these principles to teach to the mainstream. And now I'm in a place in my career where I'm like, I'm going, I'm going not mainstream at all. I'm going very into the secret teachings and into the mystery. Maybe the next book will be about the secret teachings. That'll be really fun. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. I'll be definitely reading that. So a couple of quick questions for you. What is the book that changed your life? This will be interesting if you're a reader as well. I always ask everyone this. That is such a hard question. I get asked that question a lot because so many books have had such a huge impact on me and I've read so many books. I have like a little library here. Um, so I'm going to go with just what has changed my life most recently, a book that has touched me most recently. It was a book. I was, I was in a really dark place and it was, um, I was just really looking for like, what's the way out, you know, like what's the way out of this whole human thing? I just went out. And I came across the work of Jeff Foster. And he has a book called The Deepest Acceptance. Mm -hmm. And the book is all about accepting what is. No matter what is in front of you, the deepest acceptance is accepting sometimes things that are unbearable in this life. Mm -hmm. This idea of deep rest. And Jim Carrey was um, mm -hmm. acted by Jeff Foster's work. And he said, you know, one of Je Jeff Foster's quote is, depressed is just the need for deep rest and that we're as a culture really and I think we're in a place where we need deep rest and this idea of can I accept and I think that's a tantric principle can I hold the taboo can I hold the meat can I hold the thing that that feels scary and I don't want to look at and and be with my own anger be with my own sadness be with the grief can I hold it and and be in love and acceptance of that too. And so that book had such a huge impact because it it really taught me that freedom is being able to accept whatever is there and suffering is when we resist what is what is there in front of us. I love it. So what about an, a phrase or affirmation or quote that you live by? Well, unconditional love for you, from you, and then everybody gets it. Great. I love it. Self-love. Definitely important. So where can people find you? Uh, so my website is jaya.love and that's J-A-I-Y-A dot L-O-V-E love. And then if you want to take the quiz, I'm sure you'll put links and things, but um, eroticbreakthrough.com. Eroticbreakthrough.com is the website for the quiz and all things blueprints. And then your Instagram is Miss Jaya. I believe it's erotic blueprints. Um, okay. I'm not sure. I don't get on Insta too much. Okay. Uh, 
I know we we do social and I have all the social stuff. But if you go to the website, I'm sure you'll find it. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for joining us today on the Orgasmic Lifestyle Podcast, where every day is a climax. It's been a peak experience speaking with you. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much. The book I'm reading now is What the Heck is Self-Love Anyway? by Jonathan Astley. I recently bought this book and read the whole book because I had the privilege of interviewing Jonathan Astley a couple of weeks ago, and I am so excited about publishing this interview. Jonathan Astley is a midlife love and relationship coach, and he has a popular YouTube channel. That's how I came across him. And I have the fortune of many of my guests actually coming my way. I have their agents contact me um, in order to come on this podcast. And many of the guests that I interview, I don't actually know them um, before they before they pop into my inbox. So it's a real um, pleasure to discover someone who's doing some incredible things. But with Jonathan Aslow is different because I actually discovered his channel on YouTube. And I was very intrigued by the content he was making because he focuses on midlife dating. And this is a really interesting time of life because midlife is not the same as being 20 or 30. And the type of advice you would be giving and type of relationships you're seeking could be very different from the ones that you have when you are um, starting out your um, emotional life. And I found that really, really interesting. Also, I came across a few of his videos that I found quite to be quite illuminating <laughs> to kind of understand male thinking patterns quite a lot. Anyway, in his uh, videos, many of them, he recommends his own book, which is um, What the Heck is Self-Love Anyway? And it's interesting because um, this book um, came around because he realized that many people he was coaching really needed needed to work on self-love as opposed to kind of having dating tips. Because I really believe as well that self-love is the foundation of all our relationships. It sounds like a real cliche, but it's so, so, so true. The more you love yourself, the more you acknowledge your self-worth and the more you, the, high, the better your self-concept. I think every everyone around us in all our relationships is is a reflection of where you're at in your self-love position. And, and I, I think that's definitely true of myself. And um, I think I have been able to attract better, more calm, um, more fulfilling relationships thanks to my um, increasing self-love over the years I mean, I remember years ago, I used to attract a lot of drama in my emotional life. I think I was very focused on passionate sex. And sometimes that came hand in hand with, you know, arguments and very fiery relationships. And then as I became more spiritual, more calm, then I've gradually been attracting more calm to my bedroom. I, I would call it grounded passion. And and I really wish I even shared this with Jonathan during our interview, that one of my regrets in life is actually not having loved myself more in the past. And also, of course, we should never really have regrets. And it's good that I've come to that realization now rather than later. But I do wonder what it would have been, what my life would have been like if I'd come to this conclusion earlier. So I really think uh, wherever you are in life, make sure you um, start loving yourself. And I think this book is a great, um, is a great guide. There are 30 chapters, and I think I probably read it too quickly because I'm just such a bookworm I just couldn't can't stop but I would recommend reading it slower and also just focusing on that particular lesson of the day and then letting it sink in and resonate let me just um read you some of the chapters I mean there's no 
separation between the genders, love being alone. This is really important, that one. Make friends with the voices in your head. Honor your uniqueness, loving, wonderful, weird me. Learn to say no. And yeah, when things go wrong, shift to love. And what else do we have here? Um, speak your truth and do it with kindness. And don't let anyone with your chi be of service to humanity. So it's very kind of spiritual, personal development, a good way to connect with yourself. And and hopefully once you have applied these lessons and then you can um, get to a place where you acknowledge that you deserve a wonderful relationship with lots of compatibility. So that is the book I'm reading now, What the Heck is Self-Love by future podcast guest, Jonathan Astley. Now it's time to slow things down as we prepare for this episode's guided affirmations meditation. It's probably not a good idea to listen to this while driving or operating machinery. Instead, take a break from whatever you're doing, get comfortable, take a deep breath and enjoy. Sleep. 
Do you want to make your day more orgasmic? Do you want to experience pleasure like never before? If so, check out tracysdog.com. There you will find a range of innovative adult products designed for your ultimate satisfaction. From intimate massages to couples accessories, Tracy's Dog has something for everyone. They even have one of the highest rated sex toys on Amazon. One user even said that it was so good that they nearly passed out. I'm pretty sure I levitated. It was a never ending orgasm, she said. Having tried many Tracy's dog products, I can vouch for their orgasmic quality. If you're curious, visit tracysdog.com to elevate your intimate moments. To find out more about me and my orgasmic lifestyle, visit venusohara.org or follow me on Instagram at instagram.com slash venusohara. Make sure to search for the Orgasmic Lifestyle Podcast by Venus O'Hara in Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Google Podcasts or anywhere else podcasts are found. Make sure to click subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. Thanks for listening. Have an orgasmic week and make sure every day is a climax.